welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, dein Arbeitsleistung ist richtig unacceptable. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox. How was your week? What's been happening? Not a huge amount. Moving day is, is next weekend. Uh, so we are surrounded by boxes. Cats are a bit confused, but they're also enjoying uh, the, an abundance of empty boxes to, to claim as their own. But yeah, apart from that, business as usual, apart from May is nearly here. Um, so yeah, when this comes out, it will be the 1st of May, uh, which is kind mm. of amazing. This year is plodding along as quickly as all the ones before it. I think it's the nature of the lockdown as well. The things seem to move in a weird, like rapidly, but also in a way where time doesn't seem to be perceptible. Mm. Uh, this this week I had to go to the doctors and, and usually when I go to the doctors, I'm not exactly happy about mm. it, but this time I was like, oh, it's a day trip. I've got to go somewhere. I've got to speak to someone who isn't my immediate family. Yeah, it's a very weird world we're living in at the moment. Isn't it just? Yeah. And I mean, when you uh, when you open up Twitter or other sort of platforms, you see that it's, it's just getting weirder and weirder all over the place. I'm quite happy in my little bubble of negligence. Uh, <laughs> it's like, It's a hell of a thing trying to do a podcast or write a blog about German culture when like there's no culture happening there's nothing happening i'm like having to rack my brains going do i remember can i remember what these things were like <laughs> what was this like totally disconnected from society well hopefully we won't have that problem with uh, today's podcast we've had a lot of fun over the last 20 episodes but now it's time to knuckle down and turn on those thought showers before our chef decides we need to be outsourced Yes, this week we're talking about working in Germany as we look at the language of the German office, business etiquette and ferocious feedback. If you can't tell the difference between your Lebenslauf and your Arbeitsvertrag, we may have something for you. Just sit back, turn up the volume, we've got you covered. Are we, are we really going to talk about Arbeitsvertrag? Nah, we'll probably just find three articles, discuss a bit of them and then go on a tangent about German biscuits or something. Sound okay with you? It sounds like us. Excellent. <laughs> Okay. The first topic we wanted to talk about was the language of a German office. So this this article uh, comes from Handelsblatt. It's an article from 2017 uh, called How German Companies Adopted English as Their Lingua Franca. But it's safe to say by this point that English has firmly established itself as both the official and unofficial language of offices up and down Germany. Would you say that English is the language of the German office, Simon? I mean, yeah, in my experience, absolutely. But I've spent a decade as a business English trainer in Germany. So every office I go into, that, that's what I'm there for, to, to help improve the abilities of departments and teams. I mean, of course, there are smaller companies, regional companies that haven't sort of adopted this. But I mean, all the mm-hmm. all the big players in the region, uh, and we are surrounded by some pretty major German companies here in our neck of Bayern, uh, and they all use English uh, as their operating language. Mm. And that trend is not going to be reversed. Audi down the road in Ingolstadt, it was less than 10 years ago they adopted it. Adidas, of course, in Herzog and Arach. Siemens in Erlangen and basically mm-hmm. every single town in Bavaria has a Siemens. Yeah, it's all it's all English now. So yeah, obviously it's been helpful for our employment. <laughs> we'll have to sort of settle in maybe a misconception in that I think English is used in the office, but it's not used universally and it's not like of you course, could walk, yeah. you walk into a German office, you're still hearing people speaking German. The, the, the day-to-day business is still often done in German. But there's, there's just a lot more English spoken in, in offices in Germany than there were in the past. The industries have a big factor here. Obviously, there are certain sectors like IT 
is a big one where it's such an international industry that everyone's sort of gearing up to as a career and so a lot of the companies that i work at that are more tech focused mm-hmm. they have it's more multinational uh, in in the setup of their teams they have people from all over the world doing their it services etc so i think that, that is a big thing so so it, it does depend from from different industries as you said do you think it's a good thing though is mm. it like a positive thing do you think you need to be able to communicate effectively with your partners and having a lingua franca is is really a key element of that but of course just being able to speak english isn't enough like you need to know how to communicate with people and this is something that it isn't just about teaching English to, to people that don't speak English as their mother language. It's also about teaching English speakers how to communicate effectively as well. But I mean, is it a good thing? Yes, I'm an English teacher. It's how I pay my bills. <laughs> exactly. I thought I thought you might say it. I was going to say, though, do you know one of the things I hate is using the, the term lingua franca? I feel like it's a very it's a very sort of out of date phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, like English is the lingua franca and you hear it a lot in our industry. Whenever someone says lingua franca, I want to throw something at them. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why the phrase lingua franca makes... I'm never, I don't think you can say that phrase without sounding pretentious. Even like in my accent, if I went... Oh, English is the lingua franca, and I just feel like a right tit every time I say it. Is it like this underlying anti-French sentiment? Probably, probably. Have? It's like, Frank, that sounds like I think France. It's, I think, I mean, obviously, I think it's the fear of having to, having to say anything that is a, a foreign word in an English sentence. Because, like, do you change the accent or not? So it must be difficult for people who began to work in one language to suddenly find themselves needing to learn a whole new language in order to do their jobs. Do you have sympathy for, like, older people and older employees who now have to learn a whole load of wacky managerial buzzwords? It does seem a little unfair. It, it can be really brutal. <laughs> I mean, I've had some people especially my, my close-to-retirement students. And when they started at the companies they were working at, they were like operating in pencil. And then they like yeah. suddenly they have to use computers. And then 10 years later, they got to start speaking a foreign language. It's, it's mm. definitely a challenging thing. But I think the, the thing that helps with these kind of learners is they recognize that learning English isn't a skill that's just useful for work. When you retire, having English is, is a really wonderful skill to be able to travel uh, and see the world and take advantage mm-hmm. of your retirement. So I've not struggled with people being like reticent. And it's one of the things I, I like about our, our industry is most people are volunteers. It's pretty unusual to be forced mm-hmm. to learn English. It's really only with Atubis, like apprentices, where that is a forced element. And that can be a very challenging thing to deal with. A group of 17, 18 year olds mm-hmm. who speak English, to a certain level but maybe don't know the right terminology for like heavy duty machinery and that's not exactly fun to teach for Mm. anyone involved no not at all not at all it's funny when you say like the sort of transitions that older employees have gone through in companies like i've met people who were telling me about punch card systems when they started and i was quite shocked I, i came from a sort of retail hospitality background that was most of the work that i'd done either full time or part time before i moved to germany and so meeting people who had been in jobs for 30 years was quite shocking (laughs) You know, like meeting people who'd worked through an entire department or within an entire department in different positions. But yeah, having to go through learning computer systems and changing technology and then having to learn different languages. But I find the the people who join who are older are usually the most motivated. You, especially the ones who want who are going to retire, I always find mm-hmm. they're kind of good to have in a class because they slowly begin to, to care less about sounding a particular way. Mm-hmm. They, they sort of create a new confidence in them that they they just want to be able to converse. They're not really bothered about how they're perceived by other people. But I, I do I certainly feel for them when they're 
confronted by someone who's maybe spent some time in America who's got a lot mm. of diverse vocabulary <laughs> and that, that they want to use it. It seems as well a lot of these older generation are quite conscious of their accent. It's never something I've particularly focused mm-hmm. on as a trainer because you don't need to sound like me to be an effective communicator. But yeah, the younger generation of Germans are being raised on the diet of American, British music, films and culture. So you do hear accents that are very impressive. And mm. it's interesting often where you hear someone like switch between an American accent and a British one depending on where they've learned that particular vocabulary. So it's quite a cute mix uh, every now and again that can be a little bit discombobulating. Yeah, exactly. As you said, that there's a serious generational difference mm. in English skills among German office workers. Like Older colleagues will sometimes struggle to get to grips with an international meeting, whereas younger employees will find themselves in their element. And they're all very enthusiastic and often with very Californian speech patterns. I think you understand what I mean. We'll probably talk a bit more about that in a moment. But uh, why do you think younger Germans are better at speaking English than their older? the colleagues is it all just education i mean the internet has got to be the, the biggest gift uh, for young people now obviously there is a, a small percentage of the internet that is written in german but the majority is is english and so just to be a, a modern young person you're going to encounter english far more often than the older generations would have music like obviously there's a very vibrant and successful german music industry but I think it, to be like the coolest kid mm. in school, you're going to be listening to US and UK stuff uh, instead of Schlager. So, I mean, they have a huge advantage of just being exposed to it. And it is creating a clash where now English is being peppered mm. into sentences that are German and people really don't like it. I do quite like it to hear English being thrown around because it makes the language feel a bit more alive and flexible. Mm. Uh, and flexible is something I always want my German to be. Definitely, it's, it's <laughs> second language speakers, I think flexibility is, is something we crave. Like Net- Netflix for me was a key. I can't remember when Netflix came to Germany. It was probably 2014, maybe 2013. I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but I remember no a noticeable difference as soon as netflix and amazon disney plus has started and you've got apple tv all these streaming services that provide a lot of their mm. content in both german and english and you've got big tv shows game of thrones is a good example like you would speak to a lot of young people thought they'd reference game of thrones and you'd ask them about it and they'd watch it in english and the older generation would watch it in german and when mm. we say older generation that could be anything 30 plus basically late teens yeah. uh, mid-20s they watch everything in english and meeting meeting young people in their 20s who and you, you this will happen to you i'm sure they start talking and they sound like they're from california gonna mm. wanna shoulda got like maybe a little bit of a american accent yeah. that you can hear and you'll ask them you go oh, like have you spent time in the u.s or have you got a parent that's maybe an, an english speaker and they'll be like no and you're like oh, how did you oh i watched like i watched big bang theory no. in english or i watch how i met your mother in english and They've, they've mm-hmm. developed an accent based on that. I always find that as a funny thing. I mean, there's certainly an advantage to doing that. Obviously, you're going to improve your language skills, but you're also going to get the mm-hmm. best out of these shows because the the translation that is offered up a lot of the time, especially when it comes to comedy, can really divert from the original intent mm-hmm. uh, of the script and of the show. Yeah, and it's obviously going to develop young people's English capabilities, English skills, if they're, if they're watching it a lot. But again, like potential employees of some of the biggest companies in Germany will have to deal with English as their working language and that they have to work on it to, to allow them to 
to reach the levels that they want, especially if they're ambitious. I know, obviously, with the Abitur, which is the diploma that's offered by the, the gymnasium in Germany, uh, English is, is, is a big part of that. And it's, I think English is a big part of all levels of German school. And the, the sort of school-level English isn't going to cut it when you're dealing with boardroom discussions or complex meetings with different countries. Uh, English that you've picked up from, from music, film and, and popular culture will help boost your language. But again, it's not always the, the most useful language. Blow My Whistle Baby is not exactly going to be coming up too much when it comes to discussing. <laughs> Discussions about about the financial plan for the next the next twelve months. German colleagues and, and German friends and, and the people we work with day to day, they often are concerned about what level they're at and like is their English good? Is it and, and they'll often look for feedback. I mean this this really is a nationality issue. Before I moved to Germany and when I started teaching, I taught people from all corners of the earth. South America, Turkmenistan, everywhere. Like hundreds well, maybe not hundreds. 50 plus nations in my first year as a teacher easily and I can safely say that Germans do have a heightened notion of public shame uh, linked to like making mistakes. Finnish Scandinavians were also uh, a little bit more edgy about it because most people from that from those countries speak very very good English uh, but Germans are definitely conscious of looking stupid uh, especially in front of colleagues uh, it's a really easy way to make yourself look daft by just making a simple mistake in english one of the main issues faced in this brave new world of english as the main language for work is that some germans have been apparently refraining from talking in meetings it's not something that i've necessarily seen so blatantly where people refuse to speak but certainly they're hesitant to embarrass themselves in front of their colleagues in case they say a word wrong or a sentence wrong and this means that discussions are often dominated by those people who can speak the language well or speak English well, but aren't necessarily the experts in the room. And that can obviously cause problems when it comes to research and development, new products and things. German as a language is hard to speak and speak proficiently. And I think Germans know that inherently. They know what it sounds like to sound stupid. But also the fact that English seems to be a marker of a good education. Like the, one of the things we always get is the, and we talked about it last week, where, where you start speaking German to some, someone in a, a shop in Germany and they start speaking to you in English because they hear your accent. And it's part of, I always think it's it's partly to do with them saying, I might work in a shop, but I can speak English, you know, I'm not an idiot. Like, and I think that's a lot of it is like saying like, hey, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm doing this at the moment, but I, I'm, I may be working a, a tankersteller, I may be working a gas station, but I've got I've got other skills. And they like to show that. And I think that's always a positive. But yeah, I do, I do find that it gets hung up a lot on the grammar. And I think that's partially to do with how they're taught English. Like grammar heavy, you know, it's very, the grammar rules are really important, but the actual confidence in speaking isn't really focused on. So I mean, of course, this comes from the fact that the majority of, of English teachers in German schools are Germans. And so mm. to really learn English as it is spoken, having a native speaker is a huge advantage. A lot mm. of the people that I've taught over the years do have a very good understanding of grammar. And I'm delighted by that because I hate teaching grammar. I'm far more mm. useful, I find, on helping people tweak their spoken English to sound more impressive. It's more fun mm -hmm. for everyone involved than having to teach, uh, yeah, the third conditional. But I always find that, the, especially the older German colleagues, know the rules often better than I do. <laughs> like they could recite the rules rote, and I could just write down what they're saying. It'd be because it's that seems to be the big the big focus was you're good at English because you know the rules, not you're good at English because you can communicate well. I'm sure it was the same for you when you first became a teacher, like you wouldn't have known the rules of English grammar because 
it's not taught I, I was never really? taught grammar and when I first stepped into a classroom like the book I always had with me uh, was English grammar in use oh yeah yeah it's the bible that <laughs> it, it was essential for my first year as a teacher because if somebody asked a really technical question like I could say this is the answer but I found it very hard to explain why 11 years later I don't have that book with me anymore when I teach and I think that's a, a pretty cool thing but yeah we just aren't taught grammar in the UK uh, especially I don't know if the Americans focus on it any differently but uh, yeah I'm sure if I asked my brother to explain the difference between the second and third conditional there'd be a very blank mm. look on his face the German system is good for that with so much English spoken in, in German offices I guess the question is can can English speakers just walk into a job is that it's just so easy they just can I've got the qualifications I speak English bang I'm now executive of the book <laughs> I mean, it does give you a big advantage, that's for sure, especially when we are looking mm. at the higher levels, like board level is a really interesting mm. place because the majority of people on boards of companies in Germany are, are men, mm. 50 plus, and their language skills are going to be below what you might expect of a board member, let's say. Um, I've been lucky to work with, on a private level, a couple of, of board members who are sort of younger, who are sort of breaking into that level. And I've mm. definitely been able to see how having high-level English has been a huge advantage where they can run circles around the older people around them. They might mm. not have more knowledge, they might not have more expertise, but they can talk about things in a more sort of vibrant way and they sound mm. better. And, of course, they're willing to give presentations at AGMs in front of hundreds and hundreds of people, but maybe Herr Dr. Dingsbums, who's been with the company for 40 years and is really, really an expert can't communicate effectively in English and he's not going to take those opportunities uh, so yeah there's definitely a, an opportunity to shine but speaking English on its own is definitely not enough to land a good job you've got to have other skill sets and other qualifications for sure but um, do you think it's easier working with native speakers of English than with non-native uh, speakers of English obviously we spent three years in, in the US and I think my wife would say that it's probably easier with other non-natives because there is a sort of a level that everyone's operating at. And I think there is a tendency when you are a native speaker, when you get the opportunity to show off, one way you're going to do that is with high-level vocabulary. And we saw this a lot um, dealing with Chinese factories, for example. The Americans would talk in a way they don't normally talk to mm. sound clever. And you could see like glazed over looks on everyone's faces, whereas... I mean, communication is, is being understood effectively. And these soft skills uh, attached to that is a really is a, a key to success, especially when you're dealing with other non-natives. So I'd say it's probably easier with other non-natives. Well, I, was, I was thinking back to one of the first classes I ever did. It was like 10 years ago. And I remember my boss was outside like listening to sort of track what I was doing it was like literally my first class and at the end she came in and she sort of said uh, well how many times did you use the word smashing and I'd just been saying the word smashing and, and it was because I was nervous and, and I think when you're a native speaker and you're nervous as you would be if you're giving a presentation in a room full of people or, or a special event where you're meeting other people from different countries you get a bit nervous and you're trying to sort of speak to people and communicate mm. and you end up hanging on sort of a, a weird word that you never I'll never use the word smashing ever 
but I just felt like that was the word that I had to use and I was just stuck on it I couldn't and, and she was like how many people do you think understood the word smashing and I was like none of them and she's like yeah exactly and so you do weird shit don't you when you're a native speaker and I think it's the same for German native speakers I'm always bemoaning the fact that the language is very complicated grammatically but more often than not the problem I find is people are just using words I've never heard before colloquial words I can get like slang words mm. okay like you can sort of pick those up from media and as we've said with with English you pick up a lot of slang and and buzzwords that, that are everyday use but when you're speaking to someone who's a professor and they're just pulling out words that you're like there's no how do you even think that I would know what that word is so like why would you think that I would even come across like you've got to sort of speak to the speak to the room haven't you it's, it can be tricky here we see another German trait where asking mm-hmm. questions in public isn't necessarily that common so your students on that day might have been thinking what is smashing he said it like eight times now but nobody's actually asked <laughs> but i'd do that in german this i perfected like the ability to predict when groups of people were gonna laugh so i could laugh along with them so i didn't look like i didn't understand what people were saying like and i got really good at that to a point where it became a bit of a crutch where i just wouldn't listen and just wait for people to intake a breath mm. <laughs> oh yeah i'm laughing too i understand and that just because i didn't want to seem like uh, i wasn't part of the group so but yeah i totally i totally see that this mm. this fear of putting yourself out there and, and saying oh, i'm the one who doesn't understand especially in a meeting if everyone's 20 people in a meeting everyone's nodding and you're the only one who doesn't seem to understand you're not going to go oh mm-hmm. excuse me can we just stop the meeting what does this word this word and this word mean like what does that sentence mean working in a country where where one mm. language is seen as, as a requirement to do your job is it always going to be the case that people just like hide and, and sit back and go oh, i'll just i'll send an email later or i'll ask someone later to explain it to me i think a lot of germans will rely on that sort of tradition of an email later but i think once you mm. see companies becoming more sort of diverse um, then those questions will become more standard and people will be more sympathetic to the idea that maybe not everyone gets what's going on right now. Uh, so I think it probably will change to become a bit more open. Um, young people are less concerned with making these kinds of mistakes as well. So it depends on the age of the team, the industry, the traditions, and if the person is a hair doctor professor. These kinds of mm. notions of class and rank, all that kind of nonsense. There's also a social element that comes into play. You've mentioned before Audi, but German car icon Volkswagen announced that it would make English the corporate language for its 120 sites worldwide. No other German company employs more people abroad. It was a controversial decision at the time. And the VDS, the Verein Deutsche Sprache, we've talked about this group before, the German Language Foundation, which set itself the task of protecting the language, was just like furious, incandescent with rage at VW, at Volkswagen, so much so that they sold its uh, shares in the company in protest. This is this is a quote from their statement. The words Volkswagen and German unfortunately no longer go together, which is quite an extreme thing to say. <laughs> it's pretty mad, yeah. <laughs> and this came from the foundation's chairman, Walter Kramer, I am appalled at how recklessly our elites are giving up their own language and culture. Sounds a bit, yeah, it sounds a bit Trumpian if you ask me, but do you think the the VDS is a point? Shouldn't employees of a German company speak German? Obviously, if you're a German company operating in Germany and you've got German employees, it's nice if everyone can speak German. That's, That's wonderful. But the idea that a company adapting to the global marketplace suddenly becoming less German or even not connected to Germany anymore, as he tried to suggest is the highest level of bullshit possible but that's what the Faldius is there for <laughs> to just produce really sort of controversial statements like that i mean if you go into list a german company today they all speak english as their operating language um 
So I guess there are no German companies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think the minimum requ- language requirement for... Well, I know the minimum language requirement for citizenship is a B1, and I would expect most people working in Germany in a German company to have at least some kind of closeness to B1. And B1's a movable feast. It's, it doesn't, mm-hmm. There isn't a comprehensive list of all the vocabulary and grammar that you're definitely going to be able to produce it at any one time. But I think that, yeah, of course, I think people should be able to speak German but the idea that global employees would suddenly learn German maybe for like a visit or maybe to be polite they might learn some like basics but come on if you've got a call center in the Philippines you expect them they're going to learn German like it's not it's just unrealistic I mean it also kind of depends I guess on the sort of the, the traditions of that company like if it is a sort of very global company and you're going to be moving departments and countries quite easily and flexibly then I mean learning enough German to, to live here isn't B1 like you can go to a cafe with A2 and have a successful trip yeah yeah and of course as, as you mentioned earlier a lot of places where you walk in and try and speak German badly the reaction is going to be okay I'll speak English to this person obviously people that live in Berlin like you could live there speaking zero German uh, and and have a pretty successful life mm. down here in the south it's a little bit different uh, and it's been a while since somebody has mm forced english onto me like they're normally just happy that i'm the one trying to speak mm. german jens spahn the, the health minister said this a, i think a year ago or two years ago but uh, there was a, another article i read in i think it was the berlin zeitung the english the english language newspaper of all things which was complaining the same thing that in a lot of people mm. in berlin just speak english and they'll just speak in the english to you automatically or you just go to a restaurant all the all the staff and that's Jens Spahn's example was mm. all the staff speak English but part of the, the the tricky thing with English being such a, a global language like this is obviously going to upset the VDS further but English is, is taking over the vocabulary of a lot of German companies a lot of business that's done in Germany is peppered mm. with English language as we mentioned before the word meeting is firmly established in business that not many people are talking about going to a Sitzung or going really? to a Besprechung yeah. or something yeah. like that. They're talking about going to a meeting. Performance, commitment, workflow, just sort of basic language that you would ex- expect to have some German for is delivered in English. But you've also mm-hmm. got things that are like the Denglish. We used one at the beginning with outsourced, but you've got gemanaged <laughs> to, to manage or to handle something. Uh, delivering for delivering, <laughs> brainstorming. Uh, they've all crept into the workplace. Do, do you think that that's a, a malicious element? Do you think the VDS have a point when it comes to Denglish? There are certainly some examples that I really don't like. I think if you have an existing word uh, in German and it's replaced by an anglicism, I don't necessarily like it too much. The example I always think of is, you see this a lot, cafe to go. That's everywhere now. And of course, in German, you have the phrase zum Mitnehmen to take away. And so I, I'm not crazy about those kinds of removals of, of traditional German. Uh, so I am vaguely aligned with the VDS on this. But I do also get a kick out of hearing gemanaged, gesaved, instead of gesprechet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anglicisms aside, there's one area we may agree with the VDS, and that's the overuse of buzzwords in German offices. There are some mm. frankly harrowing examples within the article from Handelsblatt. One of them that made my stomach turn was the phrase opening the kimono, which refers to asking someone to reveal information, and it makes me want to cut off my ears and give my brain an enema. <laughs> it's disgusting, that term. Like- it is, it's really horrible, and it also... 
makes me worry about the, the racial element here as well. I mean, the kimono is, is not something you see every day in Germany, and it does have a, a clear link to, to Japan. And so I'm worried that there's just sort of a bit of sort of casual racism underlying these kinds of buzzwords as well every now and again. Exactly what I thought. Yeah. Another one that's used in the article is boiling the ocean. And it's a phrase that's used only by people who've decided their own existence and the existence of others is meaningless. And are trying to pass the time <laughs> until their inevitable demise by torturing the rest of us with meaningless hyper-masculine phrases. <laughs> like, oh, we're boiling the ocean. What a bunch of balance. <laughs> Why not release our inner iron war donkey so we can solve one of those enemy thoughts or some such shit? I fucking hate buzzwords. They are the, the bane of my life. I, I love inner iron war donkey. I'm going to start using that. These buzzwords seem to make you quite angry. They do. I, I imagine a really big list of them would make you quite upset. It would. Great. Here are 20 god-awful business buzzwords courtesy of Trust Radius, who collected a terrifying 119 for 2020. I can't believe you're going to make me go through these, these buzzwords, but yeah, <laughs> fuck it. After you. <laughs> Synergy. Oh, it's so Think oh, outside no. the box. Have you actually heard anyone say that? Have you really heard someone say think outside the box? I don't think I've actually I heard... Have. Really? I mean, there are variations on this as well. Step outside the box, uh, out of the box idea, etc. That's all chunder. Uh, circle back. Let's circle back on that later. Like we're all fucking cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> move the needle. Yeah, move the Ugh. needle. Like yeah, yeah. I've definitely heard that one in 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 an office before. Ugh. Agile. Well, agile is an organisational principle. I, I'm not even going to go into it. It is an organisational principle, but yeah, it never makes me happy when I hear it. It's plastered on everything now. It's a word that's just mm. it's become way too common. Digital transformation. In Germany, <laughs> digital transformation. Whenever you hear the term digital transformation, you're like, where? Can someone point to it? Where is it? I haven't seen it yet. Is it over there? Is it hiding behind the cupboard? I'm going to send you a yeah. fax about it. Don't worry. Touch base. I like the one when they get it mixed up and people talk about touching face. <laughs> touch face. That's one of my favorites. So like, oh, I need to t- I need to touch face with them. And I'm just like, oh, I love the, the image of like two hyper-masculine managers rubbing their faces against each other. Just sort of... Makes makes me laugh. How do you feel about your wheelhouse? <sighs> I've said, I see, I say that. I do. I've, I found myself saying, "Oh, it's not in my wheelhouse," and then I have to like go at the toilet and punch yeah. myself in the face. It's horrendous. It's all gone with your wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Paradigm. <laughs> Again, it's a word that's like open opportunities for people to get it wrong because it's a word that people often read but they don't actually say. Paradigm. Yeah, exactly. Someone said, oh, it's an interesting paradigm and you're like, get in. Holistic. I use holistic far too much, definitely. Yeah. It makes me sad. Yeah, do you? yeah. The yeah. holistic approach. Yeah. People like the word holistic. Oh. It's very popular. Oh, it's so come by bloody yard. <laughs> holistic approach. Yeah, man. Let's get out of the guitars and reach an understanding. Like a candle <laughs> game changer that's one that i've definitely heard it makes me just cry inside if it's not a game changer then it's next gen i like oh. next gen because next gen was the term we used for like computer consoles in the 90s this is the next gen console and then hearing someone talk about it in like 2020 or 2021 is this is the next gen pillow like it doesn't work like but it's like when someone, someone says discotheque and you're like yeah discotheque <laughs> i've heard that word like oh, i went to the discotheque at the weekend did you? Oh, wicked. Were you wearing flares? <laughs> Next one I have is is a word that is just everywhere now. It is horrible. Influencer. Yeah, they can all get yeah. the fuck. Get the fuck, honestly, all of them. Yeah. Until we get to the point where we are influencers. This is the problem we face. <laughs> if this podcast gets big enough, we become influencers. I- I'm going to become a podcast <laughs> twat if I'm not one already. <laughs> Innovative. 
or innovative. Yeah, it's a word you can just use for everything, can't you? It's like, this is innovative. Balls to it. Customer-centric. Nope. I worked in customer service for, for almost 10 years. Nope. <laughs> I mean, yeah, puke. God, I can't do any more. Like, that's enough. I can't Thank go fuck on. fuck for that. Leave me. <laughs> leave me here. Save yourself. I am going to leave you here. Like, that's how much I hated that segment. I'm running away. I'm going to leave the room and not come back. <laughs> Moving on. If we were to check Professor Google for what to expect while working in Germany, you'll eventually come across something that talks about German business etiquette. As with any country, Germany does have some rules about working in the office, and with rules, there are always some questions. Are the Germans really super punctual? What should you wear on your first day? Is that boss staring at me, or am I just imagining it? Don't worry though, we got this. Here's a handy cut out and keep guide to German business etiquette. First off, Simon, how similar is German office culture to English speaking countries? I mean, it's challenging for me because I haven't really spent that much time working in an office mm. myself. Like, I'm normally coming in as a team of one. So, I mean, I can't really speak too much. Uh, but, I mean, there are definitely differences, and one of them is uh, formality is a pretty big thing. Obviously, in the UK, everyone uses first names, uh, and here you can have colleagues who have known each other for 20 years who still call each other Mr. X and Mr. Y and shake mm. hands every morning. Uh, that's a little bit weird. Work culture definitely varies from office to office, company to company. And in general, it's best to err on the side of formality uh, here in Germany and then become more casual uh, if that's a tendency among your co-workers. Observation, yeah, sure. You've got to have a look mm. around how everyone else is acting. But again, it's that thing of the demographics of Germany. There's a lot of people in their 50s, late, uh, late 50s, still working and coming up to retirement and then you've got kids who are 20 21 finishing a mentorship graduation scheme apprenticeship coming into work so you've got this massive gap of difference between between groups so yeah i guess the first aim is to be professional and polite so let's have a look at a few tips from deutschland.de on keeping professional and polite in a german workplace the first thing they had in the article was punctuality. And I think Deutschland DE is the official like government website, right? It is, yeah. I was kind of surprised yeah. that uh, I found this on something that closely connected to the government. Yeah, it was interesting mm -hmm. that they put this out. So the, the first point is punctuality. And this is from the article, a quote from the article. You've heard it before, and it's true. Punctuality really does matter in Germany. Showing up even five or ten minutes late to a meeting is considered rude. Meetings generally start on time and stick to a plan. A lot of deviation off the main topic won't be taken well unless the head of the meeting invites people to share comments on other topics. So, Simon, do you agree with this? Or is this a bit different from the UK and the US perspective? I mean, for me, turning up even five or ten minutes later, as they say there, I think it would be considered rude anywhere in a professional setting. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's not particularly different. What is a little different, though, is this notion of the head of the meeting. Uh, I think in, in German culture, that person's got a little bit more control. Um, mm -hmm. I think in English, we talk about a host, uh, and the, the notion of hosting a meeting is, is pretty different. Um, but obviously, it depends on the number and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think punctuality is important in all businesses because, of course, in the, in the words of Gordon Gecko in his ilk, uh, time is money. Uh, and so yeah, I, I guess it would be considered rude anywhere. Yeah, and I don't know any any companies that I've worked for where it was acceptable to rock up to a meeting 15 minutes late. But what what is noticeable is if you're like four minutes late, someone will comment on it. Mm -hmm. And and what you find, especially and, and our job's a good example. We're moving from rooms to rooms, so mm. the, we've got a, 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 an appointment in one room and then across the site 
is, is the next meeting and there's really no time factored in so you're probably two or three minutes late for for a lot of appointments and i think it's the same for a lot of people working in companies mm. what you find is that most people are like a couple of minutes late it always makes me laugh when i start a, an online meeting at the moment or even if it's a physical meeting and someone comes in two minutes late and they apologize okay i haven't even turned my laptop on <laughs> you know <laughs> like what are you worried about the, we're still gonna get the beamer going come on don't worry about it it's much more relaxed and but but they will apologize even if it's a couple of minutes mm. um, over the time do you think everyone works and in home office has changed anything people are less punctual now more punctual from what i've seen it seems that obviously people are far more conscious of time because in all these online meetings in the bottom right of your screen you have a clock the whole time and and you're getting notifications mm-hmm. about when your next meeting is starting people seem to be a little bit better because they're just always at their screen as opposed to nipping and getting a coffee or having a chat with a colleague Mm. in the office in many ways covid has made it easier to manage your time but you do hear a lot of people like i've got to go now my my next meeting starts in two minutes and then you just hang up and then you go into the next online meeting and i think that's very very challenging for people so are you sympathetic to tech issues being the root of delays for meetings Uh, yeah yes no maybe Uh, i think internet issues are a common problem for anyone living in germany the the it infrastructure in germany is pretty appalling when you compare it to mm. countries around Europe, people's internet can just drop out. I remember it rained heavily one Sunday and I lost internet for three days. And again, I think it's also the coverage. If you if you live in an area that's between masts or as far away from one mast, from a central mast, but not close enough to, to the next mast over, you're going to end up in like a grey space where you just don't have a very good connection ever. And I think that's, mm. that's always a problem. So I kind of, yeah, I can understand that. When people are like, oh, I don't understand the software, kind of like come on there's youtube tutorials you know that's how uh, people learn this stuff yeah. next thing on the list is handshakes and eye contact again quote from the article a short and firm handshake is the most typical greeting it's best to shake everyone's hand upon entering and exiting a meeting and not to shake someone's hand with one hand still in your pocket also maintain eye contact this doesn't mean to have an uncomfortable stare down it's just considered friendly and honest to look at someone directly rather than off to the side god eye contact man like yeah i mean i think handshakes are something that we're going to take a long time to get used to doing again but yeah do you, what do you think you think it's there's an insane handshake culture in germany I, I do find it really weird when you start in the morning and everyone's going in and shaking everyone's hands it's overly formal i i find but again that's that's my englishness mm-hmm. where it's perfectly normal to walk into an office and just go hi everyone and give a little wave and that's everyone greeted or you could just walk in all right mm-hmm. and that's <laughs> that's the same effect of communication the formality of course is embedded into german language and german culture so i mean yeah i i, I don't like shaking hands with every student mm. that comes into the room i find it way too formal and it's something that i've always done uh, is force informality I, I would always use people's first names with them even if they didn't want me to Ooh, i would make dangerous them use my first name yeah like people don't like it but at the same time that's what's going to happen if you do go to a business meeting in california there's a good chance you're going to get spoken to as a human as opposed to your title Uh, and i think that's a good thing to learn um, because yeah we don't care about that stuff really so i mean now that handshakes are gone or gone for at least the meanwhile are you uh elbow bumping or are you foos grusing in its place foos grusing by the way just is is the the process of tapping your feet 
it's the first gruss so instead of bumping fists or elbow bumping or shaking hands it's, it's funny that i was thinking about how quickly that was implemented once handshakes were gone once you couldn't handshake anymore people were like we need to come up with some another version of this and and it and it is like, even with friends our german friends will often shake our hands when we meet them and and my f- german family extended members of the family they'll come in and greet everyone individually and say hello and that's where i'd, I'd have had the elbow bump or the first gruss <laughs> But um, I think it's funny that, that that Germany felt like almost instantly it needed to have a replacement for the handshake once COVID sort of prevented it. Are you are you elbow bumping, first grussing? I mean, I like the first gruss because it feels like doing a little dance. Yeah, yeah. But I only do this if someone forces me yeah. into it. Like if they offer it, then I'm gonna do it back. But um, I, I'm a big fan of just like a, a little wave. Like that, that's perfectly friendly to me, and it doesn't involve touching each other. I mean, is it okay to, to look them in the eyes? I always find that not everyone's comfortable with staring. We've talked about staring before, but certainly in an office context, when I'm speaking to someone, I'm trying to look like I'm paying attention, but I, I, I'm not intensely staring into their eyes. <laughs> I, I find people would find that uncomfortable. Definitely sure. first thing in the morning, my first lesson of the day, I'm definitely staring at the bridge of their nose and just like <laughs> trying not to make direct on, eye contact, but not being in a position where I could be called out for not, making eye contact so yeah mm-hmm. friendly eye contact is something i've definitely done a lot but staring for me is not caring it, it can be a power play mm-hmm. like people do use it to sort of assert dominance as well generally workplace dress is conservative in germany this varies in different cities and industries startups newsrooms and some environmental firms sometimes use a more casual dress code other businesses generally stick to a conservative wardrobe definitely no trainers or tennis shoes banking cities like frankfurt tend to be a bit more conservative than berlin with its big creative scene what is your experience of the dress code i mean it talks here about being conservative if conservative means jeans then yeah this is true if somebody doesn't have a meeting with an external partner they're going to be in a pair of jeans and depending on the season uh, a long mm-hmm. sleeve uh, check shirt or a short sleeve check shirt and that sort of seems to be the standard do find it a little bit weird sometimes you're talking to someone that's quite powerful and they're wearing like a camp david t-shirt mm-hmm. that can be a little bit rattling for me but i'd say as a percentage it's, it's less than five percent of my students who have worn a suit <laughs> yeah. on a daily basis so i wouldn't say it's that conservative but obviously it mentions frankfurt if you're working in finance in frankfurt then yeah suit and tie is definitely the norm you can always tell when someone important's coming in, into an office because more people are wearing shirts than on a usual exactly. day i think but uh, <laughs> yeah i think jeans are kind of acceptable i know companies that have banned people like management wearing ties like that's that's the thing that's happened so mm-hmm. i think there is a, a realization that we don't always have to be so strict about about what we're wearing but there, there is like a minimum expectation that people are expected to to meet i, I don't think you're seeing anything too extreme there's no one knocking around in like a, a food stained shirt or something like that they're not pure monsters or anything <laughs> my very first day teaching here I, I anticipated formal attire like this recommended so i turned up with a smart jacket and a tie on and then i had five lessons that day with maybe 20 people in total and everyone was in like jeans and casual shirt and that was the last time i wore a tie as a teacher <laughs> i wore a suit for almost like the first five years of working in germany because i was just i thought that that you were a fancy trainer i just i wanted i don't know i just i guess it was like it was like my uniform or it gave me a sense of more confidence in the room but like i always wore like like three-piece suits and stuff like that when i was doing training and then eventually i just realized like it's ridiculous like i look so different from the people i'm working with it's it's less reassuring mm. to us and it's 
more marks me out as different in some way and I don't think that's always helpful sometimes you just want to blend in and be part of the team but yeah I think collared shirt jeans yeah. good pair of trainers is, is perfectly good attire for every company that yeah, I've been I'd involved say so. with finally we have titles titles are important in Germany you will usually see people's qualifications listed on their business cards for emails and in-person communication it's always good to use a person's title and surname as in Herr Schmidt or Frau Schmidt if someone is a professor or doctor, it's best to use Dr. Schmidt or Professor Schmidt. How does this sit with you, Herr Maddox, BA? It sits pretty shitty with me, Herr Halton, MA, because now, now I feel the <laughs> Don't worry, a lot of people do. <laughs> Nature of the beast. I mean, yeah, I, I hate this stuff with a burning passion, especially both worked as, as lecturers here at a university, uh, as a docent. Like, that is already in itself a, a pretty respected title but there was always someone who was a hair doctor professor who would bust into the office mm-hmm. and talk down to me because i didn't have a, a similar level title and yeah i, I just i don't like that mm-hmm. stuff at all I, i'm going to respect someone based on their performance and their abilities not on the, the title i think if you work to get a phd or you've you worked to get a title and and you want people to use it that's one thing i think British people are, are weirdly deferential to some titles and then not to others. And I think if you if you make a show of being a doctor, if I was to meet you, and this is happening in Germany, like say we're at a networking event or maybe we work in the same company and we're British and we meet each other and you're a professor and, and I'm not, you would mm-hmm. probably play it down. You wouldn't say, oh, my, I, I'm Professor Maddox. You would just say, oh, I'm Simon. And then it would, through the conversation, you tell me, yeah. I'd probably learn that you're a professor in a very indirect way. You might say something like, oh, I was teaching the other day. And I go, oh, what do you teach? And you go, oh, mm-hmm. actually, I work at this university. Um, oh, and then you slowly reveal, right? But in Germany, what you'll find is people will introduce themselves with their title. And I think as British people, we almost instantly want to take the piss out of them because they're, yeah. they're, they're trying to sort of project that they're somehow better in some way. And it's ridiculous. It's a very cultural tick that British people have. If I was in a situation, the situation I'd have a problem with, if somebody introduced themselves and said, I'm Herr Doctor or uh, Frau Doctor so-and-so, or I'm Doctor Doctor Muller or whatever. And then I'd be like, all right, that's that, that's cool. And then I was maybe to use their first name. They went, excuse me, I prefer if you called me Herr or Frau Doctor. That's when I would, be like oh okay like you're a you're a prick <laughs> like that's my like line is like you're gonna force me to use your title right okay yeah that's that's some bullshit i think the other issue is that sexism is a is a big big problem here there is an expectation in german culture that the man wants mm. these titles used and the woman can just be called missus and i, I think that's yeah pretty disgusting mm. um so yeah i think it, it's just another way to to put up barriers between people and make heartfelt communication more challenging and yeah i'm all about just being open and nice to each other and i think saying like i'm doctor it it doesn't make that easier it makes it significantly harder If you were to use someone's title incorrectly, they might decide to give you a bit of feedback and you've got to be wary in Germany when it comes to any kind of levels of feedback. This is taken from an article on 40percentgerman.com called Negativity, Feedback and the German Disease. So we live in a world that is addicted to feedback or rather the idea of feedback. We're constantly told by companies to let us know what we think of their products. The media regularly seems to find the most ill-informed people to ask about their deranged opinions for news segments and even some toilets implore people to share their opinions 
opinions on their experience. I always find that weird at the airport. We're like, how was your toilet experience? Ugh. Push one of these buttons. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the other people have pushed. Have they washed their hands? I suppose, like most modern ills, we should blame social media for opening the doors to the world of asinine opinion sharing. But long before Facebook and Twitter, we had customer satisfaction surveys. The idea of feedback is obvious. How do you know how people feel or what they think unless you ask them? Supplying feedback in these ways is actually quite simple. Sometimes it's as easy as pressing one of five different faces on an electrical board, filling out a form, or more directly ranting at some poor intern who's running a corporate Twitter account. Simon does ours, by the way, so feel free to say hello and tell him what you think at Decades From Home. But be nice to him, he's sensitive. Oh. Simon. Yeah, I, I just don't want people like being too critical. I can't handle it. <laughs> only nice feedback. Nah, please. we've got we've got a lovely audience. They're all very generous. We do. So far, it's only been nice people. Uh, so away from Twitter, actually giving feedback to a human being, however, is not all that easy. And in Germany, it can be the start of some serious problems. So Simon, do you think we ask for too much feedback? On a personal level, I would ask for feedback quite often. And you just kind of get blank faces. Be like, are you happy with the lessons? And they'd be like, yeah. Do, do you want to do more grammar? No. What, what would you like to do next week? Uh, uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> if you think of anything, let me know. And that was always it. You didn't really get much more. Obviously, it's important in, in our industry because you want to know if you're on the right track and if you're solving the problems for people. But I think in, in wider like corporate environments, there's there's loads of mechanisms, there's loads of different ways to for feedback to be delivered. And there's a lot of work, I think, done on like how to deliver effective feedback to your colleagues because it is, it's, I think it's, for some people, it's hard to take positive mm. feedback, but it's immeasurably harder to give negative feedback in a way that people will actually listen to you. I mean, you get that sentence, can I give you some feedback? That is the most terrifying question because you know here in Germany what's coming next is going to be a negative appraisal of what oh, yeah. you've just done well and that's the thing right it's it, and it is often negative so, like watching Germans give each other feedback is the closest I will ever get to watching gladiators beat each other senseless in a coliseum it can be brutal <laughs> Germans generally don't have any qualms about offering their honest opinions especially when it's requested so when you say something like can you give me feedback and the context is mm -hmm. you're working together the power dynamic is that you're equals you can't expect to get some pretty honest appraisal of your of your working ability interestingly brutal honesty in these moments is expected uh, negatives are delivered bluntly and at no point will anyone consider softening their opinions for the sake of someone's feelings even the UFC lets fighters tap out. Easily one of the most dangerous things a non-German can do is ask for an honest opinion. If watching Germans give feedback to each other is a brutal fight between equals, watching most non-Germans getting feedback from Germans can be like watching a naked person fighting a tank. Have you, have you got any examples of some brutal feedback that you've seen or been a victim of in the past? I've generally been pretty lucky over the, the decade working here. I, I can only think of really one person who really he gave me negative feedback he ended by telling me he didn't like me <laughs> as a person which was a little bit hard to take because I didn't really ask for that feedback um, I was thinking more about my professionalism the companies I worked for were big fans of like anonymous reviews where teachers would be scored based on a whole range of, of different things and I always performed well care about my job and I want everyone to have a good time uh, I don't want it to be boring. I've found with like often it's just the wording. So things like, like the word terrible, people use the word terrible. Mm. Schrecklich and fruchtbar are like words that are quite common 
just in German, but then they'll like get translated, and so you end up with people saying that was terrible, <laughs> or I didn't like the grammar class; it was terrible. <sighs> and it's not that they actually mean that something's terrible; it's just they're using a word that they've translated because mm. they think they don't really get the context of it. So I've had people say that. I've had people say very clearly, "I don't like this," mm-hmm. which is not something you hear. I'm not a big fan of. You might hear in, in British English, or I'm not so sure about. Like you get it quite soft, but like in German, they'll just tell you exactly what they think, and, and and I think I've had that experience. But I've watched feedback rounds, like a three three sixty five feedback, where you've got a group of people giving you feedback as an individual on your work. That can be quite an experience to watch mm-hmm. someone subject themselves to like ten people telling them about their quality of work. Or um, I remember distinctly watching two managers giving each other feedback, and it was all negative, and they took it, and it was like watching. It was like watching a game of slaps, you know, like where one person slaps the person in the face and then the next person slaps the other person in the face and the first one to flinch or be knocked out is the loser. And it was like that. It was just like, poof, here's my feedback. And the other one person would be like, oh, right, oh, yeah, I hear you. Here's my feedback, poof. It was all verbal, but it just felt like if they'd been fighting, I would have felt the same level of discomfort. If you tried that in, in England, like there's a good chance that it would end up physical because people were just not geared towards this kind of negative feedback yes it's very very challenging yeah it's always that question is like why is german feedback so geared towards the negative and and germany isn't alone in its desire to share the unvarnished truth other cultures around the world are quite adept at it too the dutch and the french for example are quite happy to give quite brutal feedback but conflicts tend to arise as soon as people from different cultures mix together there are a myriad examples of how giving ne- direct negative feedback in China or India is an awful strategy, given that those two specific cultures communicate quite indirectly and have complex mm-hmm. relationship dynamics. But this is often also the case for English-speaking cultures as well. I mean, British English, as we've mentioned, were not geared towards this directness of speech or this directness of communication. Well, I mean, directness is just a synonym for rudeness. I think for a lot, yeah, of, a lot yeah. of British people, oh, it's very direct. Oh, no. he's very direct. It's, no. it's just oh, you're rude. So, for example, search for approaches to feedback in the UK or the US, and the first piece of advice is almost always to say something positive. Sometimes such advice will be followed by suggestions to use the feedback sandwich, which is a positive, negative, and then a positive. So you have a nice negative nestled between two positive bits of feedback. The problem, of course, is that sometimes there are no positives to mention. What tends to happen is someone will give you some positives or try to turn something into a positive in order to simply deliver some negative points. Saying, you're always on time, or you're really prepared for meetings, doesn't really help when between the soft pillows of positivity, you've also mentioned you're not meeting your targets and you're liable for disciplinary action. Uh, have you used the feedback sandwich? Is it effective? I, I think it, it's effective at taking the sting off, and I'm a big fan of that when it comes to this kind of negative feedback. But I think I'm probably more of a, oh, one final thing. Oh, right. You're one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, that's probably more my style. The Columbo approach. <laughs> Again, when I speak to, to Germans about this, they don't like it because it feels a bit insincere when you walk up to someone and be like, mm. oh, how was your weekend? Blah, blah, blah. You, have, you have a good time. Blah, blah. How, how's everything going with work? And then you turn to walk away. Oh, one final thing. The Columbo approach is a perfect way of describing it. Like, it feels yeah. like a, a surprise, nasty ending, but I'd rather have that than just walk up to someone and be like, I'm unhappy about the situation. What are you going to do about it? I've come to admire the German way of mm. doing things, to be honest. It's, it is perhaps because I've integrated or maybe it's because I'm suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. Either way, <laughs> either way, I find the honesty of Germans I work with to be rather useful. I, I don't want unnecessary positives, especially if I'm ballsing something up. 
that's just infantilizing. I much prefer to have like a clear, short, sharp shock of negativity, which I find helps me improve. Uh, but that might just be me. Maybe I'm just a masochist. Uh, it's for <laughs> I probably am. I love a good kick in the balls. It's fortunate that I feel this way, though, as in Germany, feedback is binary. Either there are negatives or there are positives, and there are always negatives. If I'm looking for positive reinforcement, I'm better off phoning my mother. Is Germany overly negative, Simon? So, I mean, to answer the question, is Germany overly negative? I'd say in comparison to the UK, yeah. And it seems that Germany, from that sort of brother grim school of real... Like life is tragic and things are going to hurt. It produces mm-hmm. a very successful business model, but I'm not sure about how how happy babies are being told that they're not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the trend towards the negative is practically the German condition, as far as I'm concerned, to the point that rushing towards the negative is often considered like a German disease, the Deutsche Krankenheit, the fear of the future, the sort of the negative side of, of, of things. And it, it's it's like a particular social trait that's way beyond my understanding. But what I do know is that negative feedback models seem to begin in the German education system, where they're often the only indicator a student has of whether they've done well or not, is how much negative feedback was I given. However, just as English speakers will reach for positives to share, so Germans will search desperately for a negative. For, ex- for example, when a friend of mine was training to become an English teacher, she was required to give a lesson in front of a boss. As nerve-shredding as that seemed, I was fully confident she should ace at her English as native level. She's uh, spent mm-hmm. time in the UK. She's excellent. And my friend had spent a long time practicing and preparing. And when the time came, she gave the lesson and waited for the feedback. And there was only one point of feedback after her hour of teaching. Do you know what the feedback was, Simon? You have an accent when you speak English. You have an accent when you speak English. I was honestly dumbfounded. Honestly dumbfounded. I couldn't understand. <laughs> of course she had an accent. She's German for fuck's sake. <laughs> but like that there was no positive feedback there was just that one piece of negative feedback and she was happy but also now questioning whether her accent was a problem would you have been given that same feedback by him i mean you've got a, a pretty distinctive accent when you speak english <laughs> it'd be like you don't understand verb endings you don't understand <laughs> prepositions please what are you doing how did you get in here get, get out called security <laughs> <laughs> it fucking is <laughs> Yeah, always a negative, and it's a complete juxtaposition when you think about in Britain, we've always got to find a positive. Mm. So maybe the, the feedback sandwich in Germany is just a reverse, and it's negative feedback, positive feedback, negative feedback. It's, 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 it's very weird. Like It's something that I always avoided. I was always giving positive enforcement. So I think, if, especially when you're learning a language, being told you're doing a good job is hugely helpful. Being told you're doing a bad job is, is really detrimental. To be able to tell someone that they're, they're not achieving what you think they should be achieving. I have faith in your ability and I want you to do well. Yeah, that's important. As you say, it's an, it's an important skill, but it's an important skill for British people uh, and Americans and other English speaking. But uh, here in Germany, mm-hmm. it can be interpreted as being insincere and that's challenging. I mean, you do hear the sentiment that British people mm-hmm. don't always tell the truth because we do say things we don't necessarily mean. Mm. Uh, and there were lots of examples of that. If you take phrases like uh, not bad, like not bad's one of the highest bits of praise you'll get in Britain. Oh, that's not bad. That, that's really not bad. And it's all it's all tonal. Mm. But you think of the two words not bad, that doesn't sound positive, yeah. right? Or you get something that's quite good. Could have been worse. Underplaying, downplaying the negative, but also mm. downplaying the positive so that you meet somewhere in like an equal, an equal ground. Well, this negative feedback might sound rather tiring and honestly, it really can be sometimes. The the only time I find the desire for negative criticism abrasive and unnecessary is when it joins with another German trait, that of unsolicited feedback. 
generally feedback at work or in education comes from people who you know and trust or at least have some relationship with sadly in germany there is a section of society that believes there is only one way to do things and that way is highly subjective and it's often offered without asking that the opinions of these people are not only important but they are in fact infallible and therefore must be shared with anyone seen doing something incorrectly yeah i mean it does seem to be an aspect uh, of life here but i think this is one of the benefits we have of english being the language of business is that people are learning that unsolicited feedback isn't always going to go down particularly well i think german to german go for it do whatever you want to each other but if you're dealing with i mean we mentioned earlier india uh, and china if you're giving unsolicited negative feedback to these to these mm. people it's not going to yield a net gain uh, it's going to sour the relationship and and produce negative results long run so I think the, uh, the the sandwich we've mentioned before is probably the right thing to do. I'm not a massive fan. I don't like the feedback sandwich. But I think I think you and I kind of disagree slightly. I think you're erring more towards like a, a positive reinforcement or a positivity. And I'm erring towards more of a know the person and know which strategy is going to be the most effective. And I think we sort of meet in the middle with the relationships. But the focus on the negative might seem like a rather pessimistic view and I, I get why you would think that but I, I've kind of come to see the German disease as Germany's secret to success although it can sometimes cross the boundaries of acceptability when it comes to personal interactions improvement does require motivation and motivation can come in many forms being constantly underwhelmed or seeing every dark cloud with an equally darker turd coloured lining might be the easiest path to continuous improvement do you think that's that's the case that's why this this negativity or the negative feedback will always be a powerful tool for Germans is it's kind of like the engine room of Germany is to go that shit let's change it let's move things forward is that is that do you think that's a fair a fair shout certainly and I think it's it's a healthier mm-hmm. response when you're sort of trying to make a product than the sort of oh that will do mentality yeah uh, which yeah. can be quite English we're like eh, we've put enough into this that'll that'll be fine yeah kicking the can down the road or like the fudge using the word like oh well just this is a fudge of a decision mm-hmm. where you don't really make any decision and you just sort of leave it uh, to see what happens like that doesn't really happen so much no. in, in germany i think there's like a clarity of understanding what needs to change but the idea that in germany there are no laurels there's no rest there's just a long list of things that need to improve does seem a little bleak <laughs> i have to admit it does seem like like you, there's no like yeah we did it <laughs> it's like yeah we've done it we've got to make it better now pre-covid these sorts of challenges and optimization processes allow people to get better every year but now people are just getting beaten with a virtual stick the whole time i don't think anyone's really in a position where they're where they need that shit at the moment i think people could do with a few more attaboys yeah. uh, a few more good jobs at the moment because when you're stuck in your home office separated from your colleagues and teams being told you're doing well is a huge a huge one up and i think yeah we need to be nicer to each other in these trying times uh so yeah i don't i, I don't need any negative feedback right now thank you very much <laughs> the world is negative enough all right I'll, I'll save the performance review for the end of the year then when we've when we've got through this <laughs> that sounds right yeah after i've been vaccinated you can do what you like <laughs> until then i'm feeling a bit soft <laughs> Hello zusammen, hope you all enjoyed the show, a few people to thank before we go, thank you to Rob, Lady Blackadder, Karen, Trust7 and Fussel Blondina, I hope I got that right, for the retweets, you're all stars in our book, to Nick, Elka and Steve, thank you also for your comments and spreading the word, much appreciated. 
By the way, I missed out Reagan's blogger in last week who also retweeted us with a nice comment. So here it is, a week late, but thank you. If we missed you out and you want to correct us or if you want to share the pod, tag us in your post or simply use the hashtag decades from home, all lowercase, and we'll give you a shout out on the next episode. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home. You can tweet me at 40%German. You can also get us on 40%German at gmail.com. If you have some time this week, take a look at 40%German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thank you and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. As I mentioned in the email, today's your quarterly performance review for the podcast. Um, what was it called? Uh, Decades From Home. Ah, yes. Decades From Home. Well, I'm afraid we have some quite negative feedback. Whose idea was it to include this segment on Tesla and Elon Musk? I think that was me. Did you know Elon was a good friend of Big Podcast PLC? It's not really something I care about at all. Really? Well, you should. He wasn't very happy with what you had to say. Moving on. Which of you is Nick? Uh, that would be me. I mean... I'm wearing a name badge after all. Well, Nick, no one can understand you. We were wondering if you could perhaps try an American accent. We find that works well with the 18 to 25 demographic. Um, I could try. <sighs> Fucking hell, man. Do you have something to say? Um, Simon? Yeah, I, I was doing fine. Look, mate, it's okay. Sometimes the truth hurts, right? This campaign you started, what was it? Kebabs for lunch. Yes, well, we want you to stop it. We have numerous ties with some influential fast food companies. We would prefer you to talk about those instead. Um, I don't think you want to... Play with the wrong person, and next thing you know, you could be in a very serious situation. Is that a threat? I promise you, Big Podcast PLC does not respond to threats. Now stop talking about damn kebabs. You really shouldn't have said that. This is not going to end well. And another thing. We find your celebration of Horse Lichter rather disturbing. He's just a mustachioed presenter, after all. We want you to refrain from mentioning him in the future. Oh God, what have you done? Kebabs for lunch! Simon? Simon? What are you doing with that kebab? No, Simon, don't put it there! Well, um, that's torn it. I guess that's one kebab that no one is going to want to have for lunch.